Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text that Vicar has announced to you, Psalm 80, verses 1 to 7. I've tried to put the verses up on the screen for you as I work through the sermon today so you can see maybe what I'm talking about. We're almost there, right? I mean, this is, this is the week. We are the people of God living in the midst of a season where the world has seized control, trying to find some sort of peace, maybe if it's just a little break from the insanity of life, by celebrating a holiday that's lost most of its meaning. Can we survive? Will will we survive the next week? Or will the church be sucked under by the culture? Look, as individual followers of Jesus, it seems to me that there are two ways that we are tempted to go this time of year. One, of course, is to simply go with with the flow of the culture. Let this be a week of, of happy forgetfulness. Whatever's happening out there in the world, whatever's happening in our lives, in our nation, well, you know, for this week, let's just try not to think about it. And enjoy the food and the gifts and the gatherings. The other, and the one that I must confess often plagues me, is to get a bit surly about it all. You know, to look askance at the emptiness and the meaninglessness of it all and, and be, I don't, I, I don't know what you call it, self-righteously secure maybe. As I go through the religious motions of worshiping the newborn Savior. But I wonder if there is actually a realistic approach to Christmas. One where we are neither grumpy old Grinch who needs a heart transplant. Or the silly sappy residents of Hoosville. And I'd like to suggest to you this morning that our psalm offers that, a real approach to Christmas. Advent is all about waiting, waiting for the celebration of Jesus' birth, waiting for his promise to come again in glory to make the world right once and for all. And we've been unwrapping the gift of Jesus for the past several weeks and discovering God's steadfast love. That was week one that produces in us shouts of joy. That was week two and gives the peace that passes all understanding. That was week three. But waiting requires patience. And so today we are restored to patience so that we might at last experience a true, a genuine, and authentic, a real Christmas. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at Psalm 80 verses 1 to 7. And I want to discover three things. First of all, who is it that comes to restore us? And then secondly, what actually needs to be restored in us? And then how does does he do it? How are we restored? Well, first, who, who comes to restore us? Now, have you ever seen 
one of those photo mosaic images, you know the ones I'm talking about where they take hundreds, maybe even thousands of little pictures and somehow the computer assembles them all to make a great big picture so that when you stand back and look at it from a distance, you see the, the big image, but as you get closer, you can start to see all the little pictures that they have used it to make it. Because that's what these opening verses of Psalm 80 are like. They are packed with little images in order to make one big picture. Because that's what poetry does. A shepherd tending, feeding, leading beside still waters, protecting and guiding. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But enthroned upon, upon the cherubim. Now people, that's the place of the real powerful presence of God in our midst. It is the smoke and the lightning and the thunder of Mount Sinai. It is the cloud that led them by day and the pillar of fire by night. It's what filled the holy of holies in the temple and made Isaiah cry out, Woe is me, I am lost, I am a goner, I am undone. The mention of Joseph conjures up his whole story. You remember? The one with the coat of many colors, doted on by his father, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, only to become the second in command over all of Egypt, who rescued the whole family from starvation, who said at the end when he was reunited with his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good and for the saving of many people. Ephraim and Manasseh were Joseph's sons who had come to occupy the center region of the northern part of the promised land. They were the ones who with eight other tribes had rebelled and rejected the rule of King David's descendants, had set up their own capital in Samaria, who, when this psalm was written either had already been or were on the verge of being wiped out by the Assyrians. And Benjamin was Joseph's little brother, the tiniest of all of the tribes, tucked in with Judah down in Jerusalem, neither of whom were strong enough to survive the Assyrians if they decided to overrun them too. Who is the one who restores? This is the one and only true triune, all-powerful, all-knowing creator and sustainer of the universe whose might fights for the little guy, fights for the underdog, whose tender mercy forgives the rebellious and tends them like a flock of helpless sheep. So which do you need today to restore you to patience so that you can experience the real celebration of Jesus' birth this week and his coming again to make the world right forever? Do you need the mighty champion, strong to save, one who can destroy the power of sin in you, that keeps you trapped in your little or your not-so-little addictions that have you doing the same things over and over expecting to get different results? 
One that can actually destroy the power of death that is eating away at your health and that steals your loved ones from you? Or do you need the gentle shepherd? The one who leaves the 99 and comes searching for you. The one who picks you up and who tends your wounds and who carries you back to the fold again and then again and then again. One who uses the shepherd's staff not to beat you into submission but to guide you in the path of righteousness and to pull you back from the edge of danger. Stir up all of your powerful weakness, O God, and come to save us. Restore us to patience. But what exactly needs to be restored in us? Pay attention to the names of God as you read the Psalms. Do you see all of those caps in the word Lord before God? You know what that is. That's the English translation's way of telling you that the original Hebrew is the personal covenant name of God, Yahweh, spelled out in the yellow letters of this sanctuary's stained glass windows. It is the name that God gave Moses at the burning bush when Moses asked, who shall I say sent me? And God said, tell them, I am sent you. I am who I am. He is the promise maker and the promise keeper you see it is our relationship to God that constantly needs to be restored now why might God be angry with the people's prayers with our prayers well look God's Old Testament people were notorious for mixing true faithful worship of God with the false worship that they found in the world around them. They imagined that they could love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and dabble in whatever caught their eye. So let's be really honest with ourselves today. And let's admit that we do not always, nor do we consistently, believe that all we need to be happy and to be completely secure is God. So what have you been, what have you been chasing recently? What is it that you think you have to have in order to be satisfied with your life? Maybe if we just go through the religious motions regularly, God won't even notice that we're chasing off after other things. Maybe if we honor him with our lips, he won't notice that our hearts are far from him. One of the dangers of our weekly worship is that it becomes empty ritual devoid of a real relationship with God. I confess that I've sinned in thought, word, and deed. I believe in God the Father and in Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit. Our Father who art in heaven, take, eat, and take, and drink there. That's finished. Now where was I? Oh yeah, the next million, another toy, a new lover, more excitement. Now the scene changes. 
buckets of tears. And tears will not fill you up. And they cannot quench your thirst for life. Sin dissociates us from reality. And it pushes us to develop a superiority complex. We live in a culture that is constantly telling us to be bold, to have self-confidence, to believe in yourself, to do that you can do anything that you set your mind to. And that creeps into our faith. And it twists Christianity into do more, try harder, be better, and God will bless you. And when we are successful, and many of you have been very successful, we start then to take an unhealthy pride in our achievements, which leads us to look down on and judge others as too weak, too liberal, too lazy, and then to dismiss them until they learn how to play in our league. Or our sin can dissociate us from reality until it develops into an inferiority complex. That's where you think too little of yourself. And it may be as a result of the trouble that you've encountered, your suffering and your pain, either from your own foolishness or that inflicted on you by someone else. And then once again, it creeps into our faith and it twists Christianity into some sort of perpetual condemnation where no matter how hard I try, I can't ever seem to get it right. Maybe I deserve the suffering that I'm experiencing. I am worthless. To be restored to patience in order to experience the reality of Christmas, we need to be made whole again. We need to be put back together in our inner being. To discover again that no matter how successful you are or how miserably we fail, that our value and our worth and our character and our dignity as human beings must come from someplace more reliable than our own performance. Restored to a right relationship with God, made whole in our inner being, we need to be restored to each other. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but a rancorous division is the new normal. Our world, our nation, even our faith communities seem intent on tearing themselves to pieces. And in part, that's unavoidable. Because this world, which includes our nation, is under continuous assault from a supernatural personal source of evil named Satan, whose sole purpose is to separate as many as possible from God, who created us to live in perfect peace with him and with one another forever. It's the sad tale of, of human history. Satan infiltrates every political and economic system that has ever existed in order to corrupt it until it begins to oppress people and to abuse its power. 
And lo and behold, religion of every flavor, including Christianity, has too often crawled into bed with political power and become complicit in the process by offering up false hope and preaching either a weak, anything-goes-do-goodism or a hyper-harsh, rigid moralism. Now, what we, what we need is a refuge. We need, we need a community. We need a place where we can be restored to God, where we can be restored in our inner being so that we can be restored to one another, not just to, to tolerate one another, but to actually and unbelievably love one another, even our enemies. But how? How can we be restored? Look, we say it at the end of virtually every worship service in this building. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. But what does that mean? Look, I wonder if you have ever experienced seeing someone else's face light up when they see you. So I want you to imagine a room that's full of people, important people, including someone whom you genuinely respect and admire, somebody who's important and powerful. And she or he is engaged in conversations all around the room, laughing and listening, but always, always looking toward the door, looking for you. And when you walk into the room, a big smile beams and their eyes brighten and they excuse themselves from everyone else and they come straight to you with a handshake and then a hug and then the words, I'm so glad you are here. Because if you can imagine that, then you have a glimpse of what it means to have God's face shine on you. That he delights in you. That's what you were created for. That's what it was like in the beginning. That's what it will be like forever in the new heaven and the new earth. And to restore that to you, God has come down from heaven at Christmas and taken on human flesh and blood in a tiny infant named Jesus. And Jesus, who did not need to be restored, who was perfectly right with God, who was perfectly whole in his inner being, who loved his enemies, even you and me, as humanity nailed him to the cross. In other words, the one person who did not need to be restored was cast out and cut off so that we can be. God turned his face away from Jesus so that he could make it shine on us when we believe in his saving work for us, in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And now by the power of the Holy Spirit, right now in this room, as you hear these words being spoken, he is restoring you for the week ahead so that you can have a real Christmas this year.
restored to a right relationship with God. So that our worship this coming week won't be empty ritual, but a real relationship with God. You ever wonder why I love to sing? Why I smile while I'm up here leading this worship? Why I long for all of you to sing out too, even if you don't like to sing, even if you don't know the tune, even if you can't carry the tune in a bucket? Why parts of our time together are designed for you to participate, to speak together in unison? It's because the actions of worship actually produce in you the feelings of worship. I don't know, give it a try this week. Maybe in one or all of the services. I'll see if it works. Report back to me. Restored to wholeness in your inner being, I like to call it humble boldness, neither thinking too much of yourself or too little. Humble because it has dawned on you again today that it took nothing less than the death of the one and only beloved Son of God to save you. And yet bold because you are so loved by God that he gave him up for you. Restored to one another here in Christ Jesus so that you can go out there into the world this week that continues to tear itself apart but do so with a curiosity that empowers you to look around this week and see who's crying a bucket of tears. And come alongside them with a word of encouragement or or an act of service or a gift of generosity. It's Advent. We're waiting to celebrate Jesus' birth. We're waiting for Jesus to come again and to make the world right forever. And this morning we are restored to patience so that we can experience a true, a genuine, an authentic, a real Christmas. Amen. Now the peace that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in this true faith unto life everlasting. Amen.